Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello my friends and welcome to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey, even though uh, sadly it appears that each day there are less and less, as there are in so many different parts of the country. But uh, hey, we're still here, we're still farming. Um, The sky is cloudy and some drizzle has fallen. So no seed in the ground here yet on the Bohax farm. Hopefully, God willing, uh, this coming week. It seems that every year I try, like anything, to uh, get my sweet corn crop in the ground the first week in May, and it doesn't look like it is going to happen again this year. So, uh, hey, I guess you just have to be grateful for whatever good Lord gives you, and when it gets in the ground, it gets in the ground, and uh, that's basically it. I can't stress myself out over it, and I know a lot of guys are stressing, and uh, it takes a lot of effort to not stress, as you see the calendar uh, pages fanning like in the old movies, and the seed and the planter is sitting in the shed, and the seed is sitting in the bag. So, but that too will pass. The only thing that uh, my business is a little bit different than yours, or most of you, I should say, because we do have such an eclectic mix of listeners to idle chatter, of everything from traditional row crop farmers to dairymen to uh, uh, orchard people, almond farmer, or rice farmer, uh, and everything in between, horticultural people. But you know, since we grow, as many of you know, and I'm just repeating it for the new audience, is that we grow fresh market sweet corn, and because of that, I do multiple plantings. I my ideal is to try to get ten different plantings and s- stage them out, but I usually only get eight or nine in because I get a late start. And we need, since we are doing fresh market sweet corn, I can't have everything come due at one time. And that brings a whole bunch of different problems that a large row crop operation does not face. You know, it's funny how it is in farming. Like in life, there's always some sort of obstacle. There's always some sort of problem. My problems are different than yours. Your problems are different than the guy who grows soybeans or rice or canola. But ultimately, we all have challenges. And the challenge with the fresh market sweet corn business side of the aisle is that if if it takes three or four days for that planting or five days for that to shoot up out of the ground, if I don't wait for that to see some emergence then my crop runs into one another and I only basically have between 8 and 12 hours to uh, to market it so it's a real race and if you have too much of it come do it one time you can't market it or you have to end up basically just giving it away so you know, given that so let's say if I was to wait uh, four to five days, let's say five, four and a half days between plantings, and I had 10 plantings, then it would be 45 days, calendar days, from when the first planting went in the ground to the last planting, and uh, that brings to you a whole different set of weather conditions. So not only does the soil change the amount of moisture, uh, the angle of the sun, what have you, but there is a real race going on, and if I could, you know, sometimes I don't get my last planting in until June 30th, and, uh, you know, that that particular 
particular planting uh, sometimes yields pretty good, but that's never my, uh, you know, that's never one for the books because I'm running out of, running out of sunlight, running out of heat units, and the days are shorter and what have you. So, like I say, hey, it's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it. So, that's it. But those are the challenges. I like to represent that to my audience because just like I like to uh, learn about the challenges that you have on your farm, that uh, if you, you know you can't put sweet corn in a bin, so you have to pick it, get it out of the field, and for the flavor to remain as robust as possible, you have to try to get it to market it, you know very quickly because it does uh, start to convert the sugar to starch, and then nobody really likes that. So uh, is oftentimes I wish I could just put the crop in a bin. And the only bin that you could probably put it in would be some sort of refrigeration, which at this particular point we do not have. So, uh, and that still, you know, slows that conversion process, but it's never as tasty as it is when you first pick it. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a race. It's like transporting a, a kidney or something. It's a, it's a race. We got eight to 12 hours to get rid of it and uh, move on to the next day in another eight to 12 hours. But listen, uh, what today's show is going to be about, you know, when I was growing up, I used to hear my mom when she would talk to people, and I was a little kid, and I don't think you hear that saying much anymore. So many of the old sayings in life that were so meaningful and were so representative of things seem to be going by the wayside in this social media world, and it's been replaced with LOL or something else, or what's that other thing, uh... BFF, which I don't even know what that is, something about best friends for something forever, who knows, but uh, then they fight the next day, right, but, uh, you know, there used to be sayings like a hard road to hoe, walking in high cotton, and uh, what's the other one I was thinking of, but anyway, it was, uh, you know, it truly, it truly represented the struggles of life, and it was a metaphor that really gave a lot of meaning, and today we've lost a lot of that. Thankfully, in a good part of the agricultural community, we haven't lost all of it, but it is, you know, going, going away and fading away, and a lot of younger people are not familiar with a lot of those, uh, those old sayings and metaphors for life. But I remember my mother always used to say when she was talking to someone, another person who was a parent and she used to say small kids small problems big kids big problems and since i was born later in life in my parents life not my life i i wasn't born old uh you know i would hear that quite a bit because if we went into town and my mother ran to somebody in a supermarket and the other person a neighbor would be a be a, to be uh, would be telling her something that's going on with their children who were seven or eight years older than me. My mother always used to say that, and uh, and it is you know it is so true that in life things go on, and the you know the bigger the farm, the bigger the problems, right? The smaller the farm, the smaller the problems. And since my wife Charlotte and I do not have any children, we've never had any children. We've had a lot of animals, and uh, we still do have animals. They're our children. But I can say that that's different with animals, because as an animal gets older, they're usually much more sedate and easier to work with and don't get in as much trouble as a, uh, a teenager animal does. So, so I guess it works a little bit differently with that. But, you know, what I'm leading into here is that... I liked, you know, over the years of going to different farms and... and talking to different people and just being involved with agriculture and being involved with machinery yeah, not just agricultural machinery I've I've spotted a trend and and that being that in a lot of instances and I'm not going to be say in every instance you'll have a, a farmer or a person if they're not even in farming a um, machinery person or car guy or whatever and the so we'll reference it off a farm. It'd be easier, so I don't have to keep stumbling over my words and give you some continuity in this show today. But you'll have a guy, and he takes you know wonderful, wonderful care of his tractor, wonderful care of his combine, wonderful care. And then, as you go further down the food chain of machinery, right, when he gets to uh, his pickup truck, maybe he doesn't take as much good care. When he gets to uh, his UTV, that gets less care than the pickup truck. And then when he gets to to the lowly one-cylinder motor 
the Briggs and Stratton type air-cooled one-cylinder motor, there is a common thread where most people almost brag about how abusive they are to that engine and how little maintenance they give it. But when it doesn't run right or doesn't start or is giving them some problem, they curse like a drunken sailor, forgetting about the fact that they neglected it. So what today's show is going to be all about are how to avoid big problems with small engines. Now keep in mind and that oftentimes the smallest aspect of a piece of machinery or the smallest piece of machinery will very easily sideline a 10,000 acre operation, a 5,000, any operation, a 10 acre operation. So, for instance, let's say that you use a seed tender and the engine on the seed tender and you're trying to get beans in the ground and the engine on the seed tender doesn't run right. Well, your whole operation, you just filled the seed tender up. You're out in the field with it. You got the planted air. You got the tracted air. You're looking up at the sky and the sky is blue today. But on the weather, say they, they say it's going to rain tomorrow. And if you could get these acres covered and get those beans in the ground and what happens is the seed tender engine doesn't run or gives you a problem or runs and stalls okay let's say that you have an engine on a uh, fluid transfer pump you're pumping water into a sprayer you're pumping liquid fertilizer and whatever you're pumping into it and you have a problem with that engine all right the whole operation comes to a screeching halt because you cannot that little engine that little engine that $200 engine is bringing this big farm this big ranch down to its knees and uh, and putting you far behind on the same on the same token let's say you have a problem with your chainsaw you're out in the field and the tree falls down at the end of the field you need to cut it out chainsaw doesn't start so you know you could see where I'm coming from that that many many successful operations or lose a good deal of time, or lose the optimum planting window, and we all know about that optimal planting window. That's what's, and that's basically what's causing a lot of stress with the weather. Most places in the country are having uh, so far in May. But anyway, we know that that smallest thing could bring a whole, uh, just just bring it to a grinding halt. And sadly, if anyone remembers back to, uh, I believe it was 1986 when the space shuttle exploded on launch in Florida and as an aside to that I always loved the space program and it was a source it still is a, such a source of pride for me American pride and now that President Trump is bringing back the space or not bringing back creating the space force as a supplement to the Air Force I'm really excited but anyway back then when I was young and single and had minimal responsibilities I had contacted NASA and I actually received tickets to go down they're free but you have to apply for them what they were at the time and to go down and watch I think it was the Challenger that blew up to watch the launch of the space shuttle and something came up in business I was working for the oscilloscope and emissions analyzer company at the time and I don't know something came up and I could not end up going to that launch and thankfully you know God works in you know people say mysterious ways but it's not mysterious it's mysterious to us it's not mysterious to him because he has our our best interest at heart and thankfully I did not go there and watch that and see the devastation firsthand but if you recall back to that horrific event it was an o-ring that caused that disaster then that whole program just was was blacky black-eyed from that and those people lost their lives and it was just there was nothing there was nothing good about it but the only thing that I would say in for lack of better terms is to say what was good about it is that if we heed that and we say yes that the small things the details do make the difference that an o-ring was the cause of the fuel leak that that caused that resulted in the explosion of the spacecraft and neglecting or not being familiar with a small engine can not blow up your farm but certainly blow up your profits and we do not want that to happen and uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lecture you first before I start the show and I'm going to say that you know please listen to this and pay attention and if you have to listen to it again there's really not a lot 
that you need to do to keep your small engines productive but it does need to be done and it, and, and their importance within your farm operation needs to be recognized and so many times in life is that it's more an attitude than an actual action and that you if you if you respect and honor the value that that small engine brings to your farm and how important it is and you know I've said this many times before in the show and you're probably sick of hearing it that I look at every piece of farm equipment as a like an emergency piece of equipment like a fire truck or an ambulance or or anything like that is that because it has to run when it has to run and we need to be able to have that small engine running when we have to put it to work and the bad part about small engines is that they most app most times they're not used every day they may not be used uh, only a couple of times a year i mean on a seed tender uh, during planting you're going to use it and you're not going to use it afterwards so that is the basis of our show today and uh interestingly enough i've been wanting to do this show for a little while now and uh, I do have a letter for our special delivery segment, which is at the end uh, where I respond to people's uh, letters to me, to the website and to the podcast. And as you all know, special delivery is brought to, uh, to you by Firestone Ag, Harvey Firestone's company, the farmer who decided to make tires, right? But this is from a gentleman in Oklahoma, and he's having some issues with a older Kawasaki Mule ATV or UTV, I guess UTV you would call it, utility vehicle, that all-terrain vehicle. And uh, so that'll be at the end of the show. And it's very apropos that I, uh, we're having that today. But I guess it's not that apropos because it came in the other day and I knew I wanted to do the show. So I, so I, uh, so I saved it for this. You ready? So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get talking about small engines, big problems and hopefully small engines no problems after you get done listening to today's uh podcast you know as i was saying some people brag brag about how they abuse uh or the lack of maintenance that they uh that they give to their small engine and they go oh that thing still runs and they go like that and you know back years ago Chrysler Land 6 and the older audience that is listening to me will know what the Chrysler Land 6 is and that was probably one of the greatest engines ever made uh, extremely reliable I and mean, you could basically almost you know people would brag and say I ran this thing out of oil and it locked up and I let it cool off and I put four quarts five quarts of oil in it and it ran still running fine and uh, and that was really a, a very well over over engineered engine and uh, because of that it was uh you know took so much abuse and it used to be at you know people would say you can't i mean you can't kill a slant six and if somebody did kill that slant six they almost had like a badge of honor and they'd say you know all the people well, i can't believe this guy killed a slant six so it would be like someone making plastic rust right and uh and rust together which we know it can it cannot happen but with the, uh, excuse me, I had to clear my throat, I should have to hit this pause button. So what I'm going to tell you today is that I am going, or what I'm going to say to you, or instruct you is probably a better word than tell you, is that I'm going to ask you from this point on to give all of your small engines the same respect and level of maintenance and care that you give a brand new combine. Alrighty? Now, just because you could buy an engine for a couple of hundred dollars is not going to do you any good when you're trying to get uh, get uh, water into the sprayer and you're 8,000 acres from the shop and the, sh- and the shop is 20 miles from town and uh, you don't know whether they even have the engine that you need. And plus, you know, as I always say, on this show and on my website it's not the money you make it's the money you keep and you know why spend two three four hundred dollars and waste so much time to replace an engine even if you even if you're not jammed up and looking at your wristwatch and saying i'm trying to to beat the clouds into the field when you could take that money and put it towards something else and and the thing is that all of these you know all of these little things is really what makes the farm not profitable and as i say so many times we focus on the crop price and there's obviously a lot of importance on the crop price and on the crop yield but all of the 
the best prices in the world and the best yield in the world, are, you're still going to f- suffer financial losses if you don't have efficient machinery and a minimal amount of repairs. And, you know, I feel that it's, and not because I'm coming from the machinery side, but I feel that it's almost impossible to have a continually successful, profitable operation, farm, ranch, horticulture, what have you, if you have excessive machinery failures and machinery uh, downtime. So I, I don't see how that model could work, even if you had great, great, great prices and great yield. And then the end result is that so you have great prices and great yield, and you have nothing left in the bank because you had so many machine failures. So let's talk about small engines. And I'm going to break this down into no particular, I'm going to break it into a number of areas, but no particular order is what I want to say. Is that the first thing that you need to realize is that most small engines use a rope start. Now, some larger small engines in some applications have an electric start. And why that is important is that we have to understand how a carburetor functions. And most of these engines, if not other than possibly in some sort of UTV or some other application, are carbureted and not fuel injected. Now, a carburetor works on a pressure differential between atmosphere and the low pressure region, which you would call vacuum. People call call it vacuum, but it's really a vacuum is any pressure less than atmospheric. And the pumping action of the piston is what causes the low pressure region in the carburetor. And then what will happen is that even though in the industry, say, the carburetor pulls fuel, all right, so it actually pushes and pulls because there's atmospheric pressure on the float bowl, which is starting to push the fuel, and then the piston creating the low pressure area, you could You could basically say that it pulls the fuel through the booster or through the parts of the carburetor to get to to uh, get the fuel into the engine all right so it's actually the high pressure pushing to the low pressure but you could kind of make a partially convincing argument to say it pulls fuel and within the community the engine community will use that term say oh the carburetor is not pulling fuel all right but it's really a pressure differential not pulling so why am I explaining this to you? Because the the velocity, the piston speed, which in turn means the crankshaft speed, the velocity of the piston is going to be paramount in creating the low pressure region for the carburetor to start to pull fuel. And for that reason, uh, most small engines that have electric start are less problematic in starting because the cranking motor the electric cranking motor turns the crankshaft faster than you would with the rope start the rope start basically has a quick rate of acceleration and then the the speed of the piston uh, as the rope starts to extend further out it almost gives it what they call a jerk rate and um, so the jerk rate is very high because the piston as you pull the rope and it engages gives a quick shot down and then the speed of the piston actually ramps off so now what will happen is that if you do not have a good cranking speed of the for the piston uh, or the crankshaft will say, you don't have good RPM on the crankshaft, that the piston will not create a, a strong enough low pressure region and the carburetor will not pull fuel. And if it does pull fuel, it will dribble it instead of breaking up the molecules. Now a carburetor has a job of doing two things. It's going to, as far as the fuel is concerned, I'm not talking about throttle or choke or what have you, is that a carburetor has the job of first atomizing the fuel, which means breaking it into small particles, but still in liquid form, 
and then emulsifying the fuel means mixing those broken particles those so th think of like think of a, a, a fuel a mo molecule of fuel like a rock and you're hitting a rock with a hammer you're breaking it into small pieces right so you're breaking this bigger rock into small pieces so the fuel droplet needs to be torn and it needs to be broken into small pieces and that happens in the carburetor venturi usually depending upon the carburetor style a lot of small engines have crude carburetors but in some sort of booster or booster venturi passage and it breaks that fuel it actually tears it and breaks into small particles like an aerosol can sprays uh breaks the liquid into small particles and then it mixes it with air which is called emulsification and if you do not have a strong enough signal you will actually dribble the fuel into the venturi the throat of the carburetor and that dribbling would be like a, a a leaky nozzle tip on a sprayer it's just dripping so it's not being broken down into small particles and it's not being mixed with air because it's one large mass and then the third aspect which the carburetor has nothing to do with but is is implicit in it or, or complicit i should say in it i always use those terms backwards but uh is that there needs to be a phase change of the fuel and that's from a liquid to a gas gaseous meaning a rarefied form and there has to be a phase change because liquid fuel does not burn so to back up here the job of the carburetor is to break the fuel into small particles and mix it with air and then the phase so it could phase change and the phase change happens through what is called the latent heat of vaporization and in this in in this use latent means unseen so the unseen heat that causes vaporization of the fuel so it changes from a liquid in small particles mixed with air all right it needs to be emulsified mixed with air so there's more surface area little particles so it could phase change latently through heat unseen heat so it becomes a gaseous form a vapor a rarefied form and that is what ignites so the first thing is that if you don't have good velocity of the piston and you can't get this piston to go fast enough on with the rope start uh for a number of reasons uh you are not you are probably going to dribble the fuel you're not going to atomize it and then ultimately it's not going to emulsify or vaporize and this engine does not run and what the, is the result is a wet spark plug because you're putting raw wet fuel into the combustion chamber now so the cranking speed is paramount to how the carburetor will will shear the fuel and pull the fuel a very slow or low cranking speed will not allow that to happen now the next thing that comes into play which works hand in hand with this is that the carburetor well, at the signal, I should say, what we call the signal, the low pressure area. Uh, forget about carburetor, I said that wrong. The low pressure area is going to be dependent, even if you have excellent cranking speed, even with an electric starter, excellent cranking speed is going to be dependent upon the valve action, how much the valves open, and how the valves seal against the seat in the cylinder head and the quality of the cylinder sealing so the piston rings against the cylinder wall so if this engine has poor valve action because the valves are not adjusted and as the valve goes out of adjustment the amount of lift on the valve usually decreases so you don't have enough lift the valve is not opening enough and or the engine has a poor ring seal against the cylinder wall for a number of reasons the rings could be worn the cylinder wall could be glazed over it could have a lot of uh, you know piston to wall clearance the cylinder wall clearance that the the motor is worn is that it will be very very difficult to start and then most people blame the carburetor you know and and a good percentage of the time it is not the carburetor so it is either poor cranking speed valve issues or piston to cylinder wall issues 
for ring seal. So you're not getting the uh, the signal inside to start to pull fuel, or you're pulling enough, you're pulling just enough fuel to dribble it and not break the fuel apart. So, so before we move on, think of it this way: is that when an engine does not want to start, we need to pull the spark plug out and we need to look if the spark plug is very very wet at that particular point it's inconclusive right it's very very wet is it very wet because we have an ignition problem and the carburetor is doing a good job of atomizing and emulsifying the fuel but the spark plug has no arc or is it because we are not pulling the fuel properly we're dribbling it right now if the spark plug is completely dry like it has no fuel then that carburetor is not pulling fuel is it not pulling fuel because it has a uh, stuck needle valve and then what you could do is you could tap the carburetor gently with a wrench if the needle valve is stuck then it'll start to it'll fill the bowl up but keep in mind once it fills the bowl up it's still gonna have to go through enough piston cycles to pull the fuel through all of the venturi this the passages of the carburetor or is it because the ring seal or the valve seal is so poor that you are that it's not creating enough signal to even pull fuel so the take-home message here is don't always always blame the carburetor now keep in mind with the same theme it is paramount that you keep that carburetor clean which is very easy with carburetor cleaner also, you keep that air filter clean because you don't want to have a great pressure differential. You don't want to choke the carburetor or because it can't, it can't see atmospheric pressure through the plugged air filter. All right, and you want to make sure that all of the passages in that carburetor are clean. You'll see there's air bleeds, what have you. And if you do a good job of cleaning that carburetor with spray carburetor cleaner on a continual basis, you will not have a problem. If you are not getting any fuel and you say, man, this thing ran two weeks ago, I can't believe the ring seal went away two weeks ago, then there's a, probably a very good chance that the carburetor and intake manifold, a lot of these small motors may have the carburetor bolted right to the cylinder head intake runner or they have a short intake manifold. And if you have a, a, a loose carburetor, a loose intake manifold or a compromised gasket there, it will lose the signal and unlike a car or truck engine that will usually crank fast enough and will start even with a vacuum leak a rope start engine and a single piston engine is very hard for it to overcome and almost impossible to overcome any type of vacuum leak or poor seal in that induction path so make sure that you keep the intake manifold tight, the carburetor to the intake manifold tight, and the carburetor itself, all its fasteners snugged up. Okay? So that's very, very simple to do. Five minutes, keep after it, and you won't have uh, you won't have issues. The thing basically is it's like weeds in the field. You don't want them to grow. You want to use a pre-emerge, right? You don't want them to go and then try to kill them later. That's what happened you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago at Roundup, is the guys just say, I don't care if I let the field get dirty, I'll go in there and I'll kill it. Well, we've learned now that that's really not the best way to do it. We have to use the, use a, a, a post-emerge a product as a as a rest as as a tool in our toolbox not rely 100% on it so you need to keep that carburetor clean clean and tight and if you have an issue the plug is dry try tapping by that needle valve where the fuel line comes in and just tap that carburetor because it's very possible that for whatever reason you know that needle valve stuck because remember unlike a fuel injection system a carburetor is constantly exposed to atmosphere because the float ball needs to have atmospheric pressure on it alrighty now let's talk about ignition so let's say we've determined that the fuel side of the engine is fine on the ignition side most guys excuse me most guys grab the spark plug wire and pull the crank a little bit see if they get a, if they get a shock or they'll take the spark plug out they'll ground the spark plug next to the cylinder head and pull the rope and see if it has a has a has a has a spark all right that is not the proper way to check it 
it's a quasi proper way because obviously if you have no spark you have no spark you're not going to see it jump the gap of the spark plug or you're not going to get a shock if you're holding it with your finger but if the guy jumps he's oh i've got good spark right and we've all said that and had somebody say it keep in mind that is does not show what does, does does not reveal the coil's ability to jump the arc of the to send enough voltage to jump the arc of the spark plug under compression and that is the big thing you could have an you could have a system that's going to make a spark in atmospheric pressure or give you a heck of a good shot shot to knock you on your fanny but it will not have enough juice no pun intended enough oats to it to jump the gap of that spark plug during the compression stroke where the cylinder pressure is high. Now on any gasoline engine, you must remember that the spark has to jump that gap between the center and the side electrode of that spark plug to be able to start that combustion event, which is actually called an ionization event. And if it doesn't have enough strength in that coil, or that ignition system, I should say, because it could be low voltage, what have you, in a small engine like this, it's a magneto. If it doesn't have enough strain to do that, then that gap will never be jumped and, the, and the, the spark will find its path easily to ground or not even jump because it'll be consumed just trying to get to the, to the spark plug. And remember that the spark plug fires on this type of ignition from the center electrode to the side electrode and its ground path because its DC is the threads of the spark plug into the cylinder head. Alrighty, so that is so if you basically have the spark plug is loose or is not grounding well through the cylinder head is loose, then the fact of the matter is is that you will not jump that gap of the spark plug because it the ground path will not allow it. It has to go back to ground. So how do you properly check? You need next time you're in town, buy a small engine spark plug tester. They're about eight to ten dollars, maybe a nicer one is twelve dollars. Put it in your toolbox and it has an it has an alligator clip soldered onto it. Alright, it has a porcelain like a spark plug, but what it basically does is have a recessed center electrode. And the amount of recess on that center electrode is calculated to try to simulate the 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 load that would be required for that plug to arc during a compression stroke. So you checking it, and it's very simple, keep in your toolbox, and if it can't jump that gap on that spark tester, then it's not going to jump that gap on the compression, at the end of the compression stroke to ignite that mixture. And a lot of guys get led astray with this. They chase their tail, chase their tail, because they think they have spark, and they may not have spark. Recap, so let's think about spark plug needs to be able to be tight, and into the cylinder head for that ground path. And the other thing is that the only way for us to confirm whether the ignition system has enough in the word is potential energy in, electro in electronics, potential energy to jump the gap of that spark plug under compression. And that stands for any gasoline engine. You could have a, a V10 Ford engine in your, in your pickup truck or, or whatever and uh, you could have a, a 2,000 horsepower Hemi blown Hemi in a drag car it's got to have enough juice enough juice meaning strength I'm using it the slang to jump that gap of the spark plug under compression alrighty so we went through carburetor basically fuel delivery we went through spark plug now keep in mind also that the gap on that spark plug is going to be very critical and you also most small engines use a 25 thousandths gap and you also want to make sure that that center that that side electrode is positioned square over the center electrode lots of times that'll get bent over or you buy a new spark plug whenever i put new spark plugs in anything i i look at it and i take a pair of needle nose pliers and i tweak it to make that a nice square cut over it and keep in mind that if you have an older engine 
and based upon the magneto is going to be its output is going to be paramount with the cranking speed that so you have two things going on a low cranking speed because because the engine is not going to uh, you're not pulling it fast enough and on the compression stroke is that you're going to not have the signal in the carburetor and you're going to impact the output of that magneto alrighty another thing now common thing is that you'll get the engine that starts and runs fine it doesn't want to take the throttle it bogs it idles beautifully and then it bogs what that's usually indicative it could be fuel delivery but lots of these smaller engines and uh, have a a flame arrestor in the exhaust and lots of times with carbon that flame arrestor will get plugged up and it'll be an exhaust restriction and there's enough there's not enough of a restriction at idle it'll idle beautifully but when you go to give it throttle it'll bog that's many times indicative of not a fuel problem but an exhaust flow problem so yeah, lots of times the flame the flame arrestor is inside the muffler and you could go in there with a wrench and take it out you have to look at the engine design but keep in mind that that's another issue restricted exhaust most guys go to the carburetor sometimes it is but lots of times it isn't alrighty so that we need to uh, to realize that a lot of them have for the past 20 25 years have a flame arrestor of some sorts in that muffler system and that is a common problem Ready? The other thing basically is valve adjustment. Probably no one other than a go kart racer, all right, uh, adjusts valves on a small engine. And keep in mind that as those valves go out of adjustment, the amount of lift will be decreased because there's more of a gap between the rocker arm or, or follower, whatever it happens to have on that engine, and that lash between the tip of the valve stem to open it up. So it's got a lot of free play there. So even though the camshaft is moving the rocker the same amount, it's not impa it's not impacting, its motion is not being transferred to the valve. And if you don't have enough valve lift, intake or exhaust, you're going to impact that signal into the carburetor, and then that engine is going to be very, very hard to start. So you need to keep those valves adjusted and the manufacturer is usually very good with telling you how often to adjust it. Now as an aside, I'm going to break away for a second here, is that on all of my small engines, I spend about $25 or $30 when I get them and I buy a tachometer with an hour meter in it and they, they get triggered there's nothing to hook up it gets triggered it inductively through the spark plug wire you wrap the wire around there and you can mount the uh the tachometer with the with the with the proof meter with the engine runtime on there and i like one with a tachometer so i could see what's happening with rpm under load and what have you and use it as a tool and just basically to know what the rpm is but you need to look at that hour meter because lots of times these engines get more hours on them than we think and we neglect the maintenance because we feel that it didn't run that time and lots of times it's an eye-opener you could buy and I would suggest that you buy one with a replaceable battery and it uses like a uh, watch style battery so that when the battery goes dead a few years from now that you could uh, change that and usually they could keep it in it keeps the data in memory as far as the running hours but you know that's very that's very important because you say man I haven't adjusted if the book calls for adjusting these valves every 50 hours or every 100 hours you could have 200 hours on this motor and you don't even realize it and you never adjusted the valves and you wonder why it's hard to start and that it has no power the other thing is that keep in mind that these engines have a propensity to build carbon deposits on the valve, on the intake valve. And when you build the carbon deposits on the intake valve, you limit flow through that engine. You do flow throughput. You're choking that engine down. Then again, the signal gets weakened and also the power of that engine is down. So you say, man, this thing is a dog already. Yeah, it doesn't want it. It's making no power. Lots of times it has nothing to do with cylinder seal. It's carbon deposits on the engine. And the best way for you to keep those carbon deposits at bay is from when the engine is new, treat 
a good portion of the fuel depending upon how much the engine gets used if it's like on a seed tender it doesn't get used much then i would treat all of the fuel that goes into it with a product like chevron tecron or something similar to it but you want something that doesn't say fuel injector cleaner i know this is carbureted but it works fine you want something that says complete fuel systems cleaner combustion chamber cleaner because a product that is just a fuel injection cleaner when you put it in that type of application with a carburetor once it goes through that phase change on an injected engine what it basically does it flashes off it evaporates off at the tip of the pintle of the injector or it'll flash off in the booster of the venturi of the carburetor and the i'll use the word soap never gets to the intake valve and if you get the deposits on that intake valve you will tent them up on that intake valve that engine will lose majority of its power and it will lose its signal and it will be very very hard to start and run so that's something and if you treat that fuel you will have no issue whatsoever so let's recap here we have the carburetor we want to keep it clean and tight alrighty we want to be concerned with the signal the circuits in it being clean and the carburetor to the intake manifold and the carburetor fastens itself tight ignition it's usually either going to work or not work if it does become weak and the engine becomes hard starting then what you want to do is uh, use a spark that has to determine that I also want to add with the carburetor a lot of small engines over the past number of years because they changed the emission standards have had a problem with the vents in the gas cap and what will happen is that the engine will run fine you shut it off it heat soaks this happens a lot with chainsaws or, or, let's, or even a motor on a, a seat tender it gets hot you shut it off it heat soaks the vapor pressure in the gas tank goes up and then what happens is the engine gets starved for fuel and doesn't want to restart it started fine cold but doesn't want to restart hot if that is the case then take the gas cap off loosen it and try to start it you've probably ran the carburetor dry so it'd be a little bit hard to start but if that has a problem it's very very common with small engines to have a venting problem with the gas cap and it's usually a problem a hot restart after we shut off or went to be fueled again alrighty so we have that we went spoke about the exhaust restriction and that's usually a bog it'll start and run but it won't want to rpm it'll go, and then you release the throttle and it's fine all right we spoke about adjusting the valves carbon deposits on the valve the important of cranking speed using a spark tester all right and the other thing that i like to do in all of my small engines and you're going to think i'm nuts but i'm the engine guy right i love engines and i use a high quality synthetic oil in all of my engines i use mobile one i like it because it's relatively inexpensive it's a great product there's other products out there that people will argue are even better i'm not going to deny that all right but it's easy it's easily obtained it's relatively inexpensive and i use mobile one and everything and the reason why i use mobile one is that i want to have the less friction on the engine when i'm pulling it with the rope start so i could get higher cranking speed to get that signal going in that booster of the carburetor and also to get that magneto to give it a powerful ionization voltage across that spark plug the oil is very excellent as far as keeping the engine clean and it's very it's it's it does an excellent job of not building the carbon deposits on the piston and around the ring package so if you do all of that put an hour meter on it with a tack for 25 dollars all right and do that and take care of it that that engine will start and run and that little five horsepower or ten horsepower engine will not be bringing your farm to a screeching halt and you cursing like a christian man should not so now we're going to be on to our special delivery section and that is brought to you by firestone ag a company founded by harvey firestone a fourth generation farmer from columbiana ohio Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and AD2 technology along with their new Firestone of replacement tracks. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm. Trust it only to Firestone. Well, thank you Firestone for allowing me to bring this to my audience. 
I have a quick letter here. It says, I ranch, and it's from Oscar Belden in Oklahoma. I ranch in Oklahoma and have an older Kawasaki mule. When I go to check the cattle and fences and I let it idle for a few minutes, it starts to blow blue smoke from the exhaust. If I drive it away, it smokes badly for about 200 feet and is fine until and, and clears out. It is fine until it idles for about one to two minutes. It runs fine otherwise. Thanks. <clears throat> okay, basically, I have experience with this, not with a mule, but I had experience with this from when I had my engine shop and built performance engines. I had two engines. It was a 383 small block Chevy and a turbocharged 3.8 Buick V6 and a turbo Trans Am. And they both did the same thing. And uh, under an extended idle condition, they would start to pull oil and smoke. And then you would and you would start to drive it away, let's say from a stop sign or a traffic light, but it had to be extended idle, as as Oscar is saying with his mule, Kawasaki mule, and uh, it would smoke more and more and more, and then you'd go maybe a couple hundred feet, and then the exhaust would start to clear out, and it was fine. You could drive it on the highway and release the throttle. I had people follow me. There was no signs of visible smoke, only under an extended idle, and it drove me nuts. And what I found in both instances was believe it or not it was worn valve stem seals and the dynamics of the high vacuum even though you would tend to think that it you know on coast down the vacuum is higher uh but for some for some phenomena it did not happen and these things which if you let them idle for five minutes they'd smoke like a crop duster and then you would basically you drive them away and they would start to clear out clear out by the time you went maybe an eighth of a mile the exhaust was 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 beautiful and clear so i would have to say oscar that you have uh probably worn valve stem seals on that engine in that mule and you said it's an older one and the seals probably dry rotted from uh from heat over heat cycles what we call thermal cycles uh and they probably dry rotted from that and or they lost their uh their 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 uh, flexibility, I'm looking for the word, the softness to move around, and they may have actually went off the uh, went off the boss that the valve guide is in and rode up on the valve. And uh, that's indicative of it, but I would tend to say that they're probably dried out because you don't complain of any smoke on startup. But that is only a two-cylinder engine, and if the valve, if one valve is down and that seal happens to be, if it did ride up, then it happens to be on the the guide. It wouldn't leak oil down into the cylinder. But whatever, I would have to say, you know, until you take the valve cover off and look at it, that I would have to say that you probably have nothing more wrong with that than valve seals, and it's uh, just sucking the oil past the valve into the combustion chamber at. Um, at idle and it's a like I said I've seen this phenomena then subsequently after I had my shop I've seen this phenomena a number of times uh, on other engines I mean it doesn't happen every day but I saw it enough to be able to diagnose it accurately so uh, I don't think you have anything more than that so check that out and let me know and keep in mind that you know, if you are it is something that you should take care of because if you're putting oil into the combustion chamber, you know, we just got done talking about valve deposits. And I know that's an electric start motor, so it's going to be more forgiving because it has a higher cranking speed. But if you are going to keep burning oil, you're going to create a large amount of deposits on the backside of the intake valve on the piston crown and down into actually the ring package or the land of the piston which is the part of the piston above the rings so it is something i might you know if you're in care you're probably at the end of calving season now but if you're um you know it's it you know you could let it go probably to next winter but the sooner that you could get that uh, fixed is that it'll stop a lot of other problems from the engine from carbon deposits. So I would definitely not just, you know, uh, take a laissez-faire attitude about it, but I would, uh, you know, check it all out. And it shouldn't be too bad. I don't know the orientation of that engine. And if possible, I would go to Kawasaki and buy their valve seal but you want to also make sure that when you buy those valve seals, or if you buy them from anybody else or Kawasaki, 
that those seals feel pretty soft and pliable. That was the word I was looking for. I said flexible, pliable, pliable, because a lot of this older stuff and with these small engines, that part could have been laying around for many, many years because they made that seal six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And that that it's actually not really a rubber, but I'll call it a rubber. And that kind of started to dry out and get hard. And it could have been sitting in the sun someplace in the package and in the in the dealership and or not even in the sun, but just start to dry out and get hard. And so you want to have that that seal has a certain, and that's with any engine when you're putting valve seals on. I mean, you don't want to get stale valve seals because you're going to do this job and it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, you just have to do it again. We're going to say that hot rod farm, I don't know what he's talking about because I put new valve seals on it and it's smoking just the same, maybe a little bit better. And, you know, since I have a couple of minutes yet uh, at the end of the show, I do want to say is that if you use on any engine, if you were to take the spark plug out, gasoline engine, uh, take the spark plug out and put compressed shop air into the cylinder bore to hold the valves up, you, you want to put the piston at top dead center and you want to put the shop air in to pressurize the valve so that you could take the valve lock retainer and spring off with and not have the valve drop into the cylinder head and change those valve seals so uh, that that is an easy way to do it and you want to have the piston at top that center so in case for some reason the compressor line bursts or whatever something happens to the air line that you don't drop the valve too far into the piston if it's a top dead center you you would still usually be able to fish it out and what i would also do if you know when uh, when you're at the dealership i would buy uh at least new valve locks if not a new valve lock and a retainer for each valve because uh, even though you know, you can reuse them, they are old and the, those valve locks have been worn around. The general rule of thumb is to uh, to put new locks on every on an older engine when you take the when you take them off and you service the valves in that sense. And they may there may be a special tool to tap that valve seal down. Uh, onto that onto that guide uh, lots of times you could find a deep socket that will go down and work very well and you have to gently tap it down but the most important thing is to well lubricate that guide and that valve stem and that seal as you put it down you don't want to put it down dry because you'll either tear it or expand it enough because of the friction when you when you're tapping it down that it will not seal properly uh, shortly thereafter so uh, keep that in mind. And that's with any engine, not just the engine in a mule. I mean, nothing here is application specific to any brand. Well, I want to thank you for listening to the show today. I greatly appreciate any time you listen. And I just want to have a couple of minutes left here. I try to keep the show around an hour, give or take or so. But I'm excited because I do have, I am in the midst of doing the road test. And I'm calling her Black Beauty. 2019 f-150 limited so that's a fancy schmancy truck f-150 uh with the raptor 450 horsepower drivetrain in it and i am in the middle of road testing it and as i said last week i'm going to do a special road test podcast and there's going to be article up on my website and uh, i called her black beauty because she's got such she's so got such beautiful black paint on her and she definitely is a beauty but she's a real country girl she's not a even though she's pretty she ain't afraid to get down and dirty and work so uh so that's basically that and then this coming thursday which is may 9th i believe my buddy bob ida is getting his ford gt and that's the gt supercar so it's not the gt mustang is getting his ford gt took a year and a half to get it and when you buy that car they deliver it right to wherever you want so they're delivering it to his shop and uh we are i'm gonna go down there with black beauty and ford has extended my time with the vehicle kindly and i'm gonna get some nice photos from my uh, website farm machinery digest website and uh for probably for the road test article also of his beautiful brand new white gt uh juxtapose against the beautiful black f-150 limited and interestingly enough they both have uh a 3.5 echo boost engine 
I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things done to um, the GT engine, but the in engineering, we would say it's got the same DNA, the same architecture, because the GT is rated at 650 horsepower, either 650 or 675, I forgot which, and Black Beauty is rated at 450. And we, I had her on the dyno, chassis dyno last week, and you have to wait for the story uh, the podcast to come out, but I can tell you she's making every bit of that 450 horsepower, and uh, so it's going to be real interesting. I'm excited. He's real excited to get this car, and uh, it's uh, you know quite a you know quite a great day. And I'm just hoping that uh, the car's not coming till four o'clock in the afternoon. God willing, it'd be great if I could uh, get some corn in the ground. And then uh, shower and change and get in Black Beauty and run down to his shop, which is about 65 miles away from our farm in South Jersey. So once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me share my excitement about all of this. And I don't want to have any of your uh, farming operations sidelined anymore for a... uh, a small engine so small engines no problems not small engines small problems or small engines big problems and uh and always know that the hot rod farmer is praying for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved america thanks again for listening and i will catch you god willing next week